Hello and welcome back to Jiu-Jitsu Red to Blue. I'm Tish Durkin and wow, these past eight weeks while I've been off the podcast, the world appears to have gone off its meds. The Middle East is in crisis. House Republicans are in chaos. Democrats have just racked up yet another almost entirely great result of the kind of polls where people vote, which has nonetheless done almost nothing to quell their collective hysteria over the almost entirely god-awful results that keep turning up in the kinds of polls where people tell cold callers and text bots how they think they might vote a year from now. But this week, I'm going to focus on the one thing even Democrats are willing to give themselves an A for abortion, and how successfully they've unleashed it as a political force against Republicans since it ceased to exist as a constitutional right for women. I'm going to take this in what my fellow Democrats will experience as two very enjoyable steps. First, I'm going to delve into the ways in which the abortion issue is but one of a whole series of traps that Republicans have set for themselves by so completely and totally sacrificing the imperatives of policy, to those of performance. Then I will touch upon what I think is actually an underappreciated aspect of their specific reproductive rights dilemma. We've all heard a lot about the recent results in Virginia, where voters did not buy the 15-week abortion ban that Governor Glenn Youngkin tried very hard to sell as a great common-sense compromise. The media have certainly seized upon the governor's failed gambit, as evidence that GOP attempts to soften or mitigate their anti-abortion stance are not having the desired effect of drawing pro-choice-ish swing voters back to the Republican side. Less emphasized, but at least as significant, is the degree to which those same attempts are beginning to alienate the staunch pro-lifers in the GOP's own base. So let's get into it. On a personal level, Abortion is anything but fun for anyone. But politically, let's face it, Democrats have been having a ball with it. Ever since Roe was overturned in elections and ballot initiatives from Kansas to Kentucky, Montana to Wisconsin, and just this past November 7th in Ohio and Virginia, the pro-choice side has romped to so many victories it's starting to lose count. Better yet, for those of us who watched with horror as Donald Trump got to pick three Supreme Court justices two of them with a baldly partisan assist from Mitch McConnell, there's a seemingly infinite variety of metaphors in which to capture the delicious irony of how that's turning out for their party. The GOP has forced an ultra-conservative Supreme Court down America's throat, and now they're the ones who are choking on its signature decision. The Republican dog has caught the Roe v. Wade car, and now that car, having been reversed, is running over them. Actual consequences for actual women have popped the zygote matters more than mom balloon, and now they are frantically trying to blow the air back into it. They can't. To get at a big part of why they can't, we need to pull back from how the GOP has handled abortion itself and look at how the Trump-era GOP has taken to handling everything. Their post-Dobbs disarray is the rare but deeply satisfying instance in which Republicans are paying for, rather than profiting from, their shameless devotion to messaging uber alles. Democrats are constantly being blasted. Democrats constantly blast themselves for being so terrible at messaging, when Republicans are so great at it. 
With the aid of their handy-dandy propaganda meisters, they pick what points they want to make and how they want to make them, and wham, they're all over it. Every elected official, every think tank, every outlet, every pundit, hammering the same points, usually in the same words, over and over again. Until it feels to millions of Americans as if their assertions, no matter how absurd, not only are true, but have been true forever. So true that it's the Democrats who seem weird and out of touch for taking exception. For all the attention paid to the force and repetition of today's GOP messaging, though, that's not what's most striking about it. What's most striking is the reverse engineering that produces it. Now, it used to be that both parties would basically determine their policies and then try to come up with messaging that sold those policies in a way that would appeal to the voting public. No question, the policies could be ill-advised, short-sighted, downright stupid, the messaging could be distorted or simplistic or downright false. But generally speaking, step one was to design the product, and step two was to figure out the sales pitch. Democrats, by and large, are still trying to do that, and often failing, because it's hard. Not so for the Magamire GOP. MAGA starts with the attack and then manufactures the problem to suit it. Whole entire issues are wildly distorted, if not invented, for the express purpose of serving as guided missiles for desirable messaging. I hate to drag a very innocent form of pasta into this ugly business, but time after time, they throw every kind of policy spaghetti at the wall, and the minute they find a strand that sticks, meaning it resonates with the public, it's all they serve. That's how we got all those non-existent yet urgently ubiquitous threats, those legions of public school teachers grooming kids to be gay, the hordes of asylum seekers who cross the border with nothing on their backs but tons of fentanyl, or those offshore wind projects that are killing the whales. Abortion isn't a made-up issue, of course, but the favorite GOP attack points on it, the big danger of all those women walking into the hospital to give birth and then suddenly deciding to kill the baby instead because with no restrictions they can, the wonderful supportive options out there for desperately distressed don't-want-to-be parents, the dire risks of RU486, all that is a very dark form of fairy dust. And as long as Roe v. Wade survived, it was valuable fairy dust too. The GOP could sprinkle it everywhere, stirring outrage and goosing religious voter turnout and raising funds without too many women feeling too immediately threatened. Then with the overturning of Roe, reality hit, and the no-can-do reality party has no way to hit back. American women are enraged and terrified for the most profound yet practical, what the hell am I going to do or what the hell would I do if I got stuck someplace where the doctor might have to let me die or lose my uterus types of reasons. And Republicans continue to see it as a surfacey strategy messaging kind of challenge because having long since abandoned the realm of policy for that of performance, that's the only kind of challenge they are conditioned to recognize. A clip or two from the third GOP primary debate will show you what I mean. When asked about how his party could possibly find a way out of the abortion thicket that had just brutally scratched and scraped Republican candidates and causes on yet another election night, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said, You got to work from the bottom up. Uh, You got to do a better job on these referenda. I think of all the stuff that's happened to the pro-life cause, uh, they have been caught flat-footed on these referenda, and they have been losing the referenda. See? 
for Ron, the problem isn't that in numerous states across this country, women in the process of having a later term miscarriage are being told to go home or go sit in the hospital parking lot and wait for the sweet spot when they become septic enough to be legally treatable, but not so septic that they're going to die. The problem is that the right to lifers are screwing up the referenda. Nikki Haley has been striking a kinder, gentler tone. As much as I'm pro-life, I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice, and I don't want them to judge me for being pro-life. That sounds very nice, but come on, Nikki. As the one presidential candidate who loves to talk about women as the no-nonsense problem-solvers of the world, you want to know. If you're a woman who wants to have a baby in a state from which OBGYNs are fleeing because they don't want to practice in a place where standard medical care has become a threat to their medical license— Your big problem with the anti-abortion movement is not that you feel judged. It's that you are endangered. Then again, one can't really blame these folks for trying to make the abortion issue a matter of style because they have sacrificed all credibility when it comes to the substance, with everyone on every side of this issue. Ever since Dobbs, the GOP attempts to make their anti-abortion stance more normal and less scary has taken two basic forms, leave the whole abortion question to the states and or subject it to some common sense consensus time limit that will appeal to everyone except the most rabid of the baby killers. Speaking for approach number one, here's moderate presidential candidate Chris Christie. I think that that's what Dobbs was all about, was letting each state and its people make their own decision. And we've seen referenda go on in places like Kansas and Ohio and other places where voters are getting to express their view on this. I think that's the way it should have always been. This is not a federal constitutional issue. This is a state issue, Kristen. And each state should make their own judgment on this. Okay, so let me get this straight. If you're pro-choice and you're hearing this, you're supposed to take some comfort from the intellectual position that the decision as to whether to terminate a pregnancy isn't between a woman, her doctor, and the federal government. It's between a woman, her doctor, and the state government. That's not that comforting. Meanwhile, if you're anti-choice, you're supposed to believe that, yes, this politician shares my moral conviction that abortion constitutes an assault on innocent human life. But hey, we can't get too upset if it's only going on in New York, New Jersey, Illinois, Vermont, Ohio, Kentucky, Kansas, and California. As for the compromise 15-week or whatever plans espoused by Yunkin and company, I can tell you exactly why that kind of thing is more, not less, of a non-starter with the many voters who support abortion rights politically while having plenty of abortion doubts personally. As it happens, I am one of those voters, so let me just mention, the people who would be targeted by these bans are, in my view, the absolute last people who ought to be denied access to abortion. These are the women who are all set to carry their babies to term, but are hit with some unspeakable, unbearable late-stage catastrophe. It's the women who actually aren't women, but barely pubescent girls, who may take a while to realize what's happening to their bodies or to let a grown-up know. It is those who don't have the wherewithal, the money or the transportation or the time off from work to have the procedure right away, a situation often created by years of pre-Dobbs efforts to thwart early abortion access. In short, the 15 or whatever week ban preserves the option of abortion for everyone except the very small, very anguished minority who need that option most. In the view of people like me, 
who would never have an abortion and who wish many fewer women found themselves contemplating one, that's not common sense. It's cruelty. As for how such proposals are viewed by the staunch anti-abortion forces who form much of the GOP base, let's hear from Representative Bob Good of Virginia talking on Victory News. I think it's worth getting the full flavor, so I'll let it run from the intro right on through. Congressman Democrats snagged some big wins in battleground states last night. One of the biggest was Ohio codifying abortion in their state constitution. Polling numbers in Ohio broke 56 to 43 in favor of killing the unborn. How will the Republican Party, how will conservatives answer this issue in the 12 months from now in the general election? Well, my views are very different than sort of the what the predominant view of the party seems to be trending and certainly so-called conservative media, what they're advocating for. And of course, what they're advocating for, many so-called Republicans and so-called conservative media members are saying, oh, we need to just surrender on this issue. We just need to give, give in on this issue and recognize that it's not good politics for us. First of all, there are some things that are worth fighting for that are literally life and death and life and abortion is certainly that issue that should transcend politics, should transcend elections. We're we never relent with our effort to uh, change hearts and minds, to educate young people appropriately, to fight legislatively, to fight illegally, to protect precious, innocent life in the womb. That'll be our priority. Uh, we are right on every issue. The Democrats are wrong on every issue. That's why they frantically cling to abortion as their only issue that they think may work for them. In some cases, it has demonstrated that it does. But I think part of the problem is that we surrender and we default to the, the media narrative, the left narrative, this is a loser for us. The Democrats are extreme on abortion. As you know, they don't want any restrictions up to the moment of birth and beyond. They want taxpayers to have to pay for it. We need to be unflinchingly, unapologetically pro-life. I think when you have moderation, you have tepid, vanilla, benign uh, statements on the issue of life, you're trying to talk about 15-week bans that only uh, affect less than 10% of abortions. I think what that does is that, that demotivates our base. It's not inspirational. It depresses or suppresses a turnout in red states, and it leads to us losing elections, quite frankly. We need to be bold and aggressive and paint with bright red colors on this issue. You know what? He's absolutely right. A 15-week abortion ban would leave something like 93% of abortions in this country in place. If you had put your time and money and heart and soul into fighting against what you viewed as the moral evil of abortion, would you be okay with that? Of course you wouldn't. I mean, can anyone imagine any other long-term, deeply felt, morality-based political movement whose champions would float a proposal for leaving in place almost all of the status quo? I can hear it now, Martin Luther King. I have a dream in which 7% more African Americans are viewed not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. To take a much more modest and more current example, can you imagine Sean Fain of the UAW calling for all his members to support a massive strike? Then the minute he started to take some blowback from the big three saying, hey, let's give GM, Stellantis, and Ford more than 90% of what they want, take less than 10% of what we want, and go back to work. The more you think about these compromise proposals, the more out of touch they seem with their own GOP rhetoric. You know all those bad, selfish, low-morality ladies who lurk around in all those GOP expectorations about abortion on demand? The floozies and the feminazis who are out there sleeping around, using abortion as birth control without sparing a second thought for the sanctity of unborn life? To the extent that such women exist, many of them would likely be unaffected by that 15-week ban. 
Many of them are healthy adults with agency. They can likely find their way to an abortion in the first three months or so. For those who consider abortion to be murder, letting all those more elective early-term procedures go ahead isn't finding common ground. It's actively collaborating in the mass slaughter of innocents. Don't get me wrong. Just because the GOP can't win on reproductive rights doesn't mean they can't win, period. Going into 2024, my own paranoia takes the form of fearing that Democrats may take the string of abortion-fueled post-Dobbs victories as a reason to treat reproductive rights as a silver bullet, which for that very reason will become a blank. For one thing, Democrats need to be aware of falling victim to their own success. The more women in the more key states who feel, accurately or not, that their reproductive rights have been protected by these ballot initiatives and judicial victories in 2022 and 2023, the less they may feel the need to vote on reproductive rights in 2024. Should there then grow any perception that Democrats are overemphasizing abortion, there may also grow the perception that they can't compete with Republicans on any other issue. When on the merits, Democrats should be beating the living daylights out of the Republicans on every other issue, on jobs, on infrastructure, on education, on clean energy, on, you know, not overthrowing the government. But that's another rant for another episode. On abortion, Republicans have spent decades constructing a labyrinth in which there is, in fact, no center to find. Yet they've condemned themselves to looking and looking for it. As long as the abortion issue is an issue, that is going to be their life. They have left themselves no choice. Thanks for listening. Tune in for more of Jiu-Jitsu Red to Blue. New episodes drop every Thursday morning.